have our first couple on Right at the Fork. This is Chris Angeles, and we thank you for joining us. Today we're going to have Sasha Davies and Michael Claypool, who are the folks behind Cyril's and the Clay Pigeon Winery. Great little spot on the east side. Uh, we're going to talk about their adventure to get to the point of opening that up and why you should go there. Join us. Better be careful. You're within striking distance. Yeah, striking distance. Absolutely. <laughs> but thanks for coming in. Appreciate Thank it. Thanks for having us. Our pleasure. So um, I wanted to, I read some of your story. You guys did a trip around the country. I did that a few years ago. It was baseball parks. Nice. But you did cheese. Yeah. Which is near and dear, just as near and dear to me as baseball. Um, but talk a little bit about what you were trying to accomplish and where that, where the impetus for that idea came from and talk about your trip yeah. a little bit. Uh, so that was back in 2006. Okay. And at the time I was working at Murray's Cheese in New York. Uh, great place to learn about cheese. Got cheese from all over the world. And after about, a, I think I was probably coming up on two years of working in the cheese industry and I felt like I was kind of maxing out at what I could learn about individual cheeses and cheesemakers from looking at their websites and their brochures. How long does it take to max out with that? Well, what I mean is just like, you know, you're, you find yourself regurgitating the same two well, sentences as every other cheesemaker right. or cheesemonger on the counter with you. And I would say you can, if you're, if you really just like dive head over Immerse heels yourself. into cheese. Yeah. Which I did. I would say you can get there in, you know, a year and a half, two years. So let's get back to the trip. But I wanted to find out what, ma what made you decide to, to go, get in, to get into yeah. cheese. Oh, mm. to get into cheese. That's a whole, well, that was kind of just a happy accident. Okay. Really? Um, well, was, it's a happy accident, but, you know, we were on our honeymoon and we had been working. Sasha had come from financial services industry as a product manager. And on our honeymoon, she said, I don't really want to do this anymore. Um, I want to do something else. And so she was brainstorming on our honeymoon. And when she came back, we had a group dinner and she said, I have narrowed it down to two things, radio documentaries or cheese. Wow. And, and there was a pause and everyone went, cheese, you should do cheese. Um, so, um, and this was on your honeymoon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, were there anything? Was there were there other things going on in your honeymoon, or is this just strictly a brainstorming session? It was, work. So it was all, it was all yeah, whiteboards. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so so good. So you got and were you in New York yes. at the time? Obviously, so Murray's Cheese. And yeah, yeah. So I went and visited one. I'd been to visit one cheesemaker uh, in Vermont, a uh, really well known American cheesemaker, Jasper Hill Farm. And after visiting them and coming back and working at Murray's, I realized, man, I can sell their cheese hand over fist over anything else because I feel like I'm engaged in their story. I feel like I really understand kind of what they do day to day. And I can talk to people about that, which just makes them their product immediately more interesting. And I came home and I said to Michael, gosh, I wish I could know that about every American cheese. And, and that feels like the most accessible market because to learn about French cheeses or Spanish cheeses, you've got a language barrier. It's expensive to travel through Europe. And mm -hmm. I said, I wonder if we could get someone to pay us to drive around the country and visit, you know, 40 more, 80 more cheesemakers, just like we visited them and then try to share their stories. Um, and he said, I doubt we're going to get anyone to pay us, but we could just do it anyway, Yeah, which is what we did. 
And, and I'm just curious because I think I want to do the cross country trip again. Yeah. When I did it in 2002 and 2003, gas was a dollar eighty a gallon, so yeah. I didn't even factor that in. Yeah. Now to you know, I go back. I go back to Connecticut quite often, even to think about doing it. It's yeah. too expensive. So, was that even a factor then? Sure. Or, I mean, like I mean, part of it was 2006. We, we were probably we were, over close to three, three or getting there. Yeah. yeah. And I remember. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was when we basically put together like you know we kind of laughed about that and I said well let me do some numbers and so I started kind of just running the numbers of what it would take um how long would we need to be gone how much for like hotels versus being able to stay with people versus let's say even camping and when we get to like national parks to gas we didn't own a car so then we had to deal right. with like how are we going to get a car <laughs> well, so that's an expensive zip car situation <laughs> yeah exactly and so you know we did a thing where um found someone who had a lease they had like 5 months left on the lease and we just took it over and basically paid their payments for the last five months. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, you know, but then... Especially for New Yorkers. I mean, yeah, you hadn't even thought of having a car and exactly. you didn't want one. I didn't want one. When it is, yeah. And so we had it for like a, an extra, I think, three weeks when it we got back awful. and it was horrible. Just, yeah. Like having to deal with that thing in the city. <laughs> Parking. Yeah. That thing. Yeah. That thing. Um, and Spoken so, like true Portlanders <laughs> now. Right. <laughs> but we, uh, yeah, and so we basically kind of... And it was funny because I think at the time, you know, Sasha was deeply immersed in the cheese world and I was getting more and more immersed in the wine you know I uh, had been studying and then was that part of the brainstorming session as well it, you know it, it, was, it was actually kind of a, another outcome where I'd always been interested once she said well you know what I think I'm gonna go do this internship you know I'm gonna change careers and go do uh, cheese and found this internship at artisanal I was like well you know what then screw it I'm gonna start studying wine more professionally and so I went and took a class with the WSET which is one of the that's the path you take to become a master uh, master of wine, um, not a master sommelier, you know, it's a, so it's a different kind of path. Um, and it's a little broader. It's not necessarily catered to like the, you know, the service side. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I basically took like a 16 week, very intensive course, uh, was doing that. Um, and then started working at a, at a shop called Aster, which is a really large wine shop in, in the East village. And then around this time I had this opportunity to go work at Blue Hill at Stone Barns, which is, a pretty, I think, two Michelin star, four star New York Times restaurant up in uh, like Westchester. Mm -hmm. It's on an active farm, it's farm to table kind of thing. And I think like, you know, we were both like getting very immersed in these worlds. And when she said this, I was like, look, you know, wine's kind of done. Like everyone's written about it. Everyone like, you know, like the experts are the experts out are there. out there. And we, you know, and it's like the idea that I was ever going to be an expert. I was like, never had an illusion to that. But I was like, look, there's a there's a real opportunity, I think, in American cheese, especially that it was kind of open, uh, especially at that time. I mean, back then, the first wave of people like Max McCallan and, and Steve Jenkins and these guys in the cheese world, they had kind of set the tone of European cheese, but no one had really picked up the mantle about what was happening in America. And so I was like, look, I think this is a great opportunity to, be, to kind of like do this and really learn. And that knowledge is going to be invaluable. And for me, selfishly, as you know, someone who was like, a chance to drive across the country for four I months. I was going to say, you know, there's nothing wrong with that in yeah, and of itself. Exactly. And you've got the ulterior motive, exactly. actually, the primary motive. Yeah. And, and then, like, you know, like, you know, you said, like, traveling around visiting baseball parks. My brother did a very similar thing. Um, I think being able to travel anywhere through a lens just creates a, a, a much more rich experience than just, like, randomly showing up in a town and trying to figure out what yeah. to do. Mm -hmm. You know, but when we were basically on the road and you're like, seeing farm after farm and then, you know, seeing uh, facility after facility, it kind of gives a lens about, the landscape in many ways. And I felt like it was just an awesome way to really explore our country. Um, and, you know, we 17,000 miles and 35, 35 states and 
I went up to Alaska and visited a couple of crazy cheesemakers oh, up, up there. there too. <laughs> oh, yeah. So how long did the 17,000 miles take? Four months. Four months. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. was awesome. Oh, you were stopping a bit, though, because oh, yeah. I did 14,000 miles in five weeks. Yeah, well, no. Weeks. I mean, we spent three days at almost every farm. So, you know, we did 42, and, 41. And was everybody welcoming you and yeah. giving you the—were they putting you up? It depends. I mean, a some of them. A lot of them did. A lot yeah. more people. You know, we it was sort of like we joked about how it was almost like getting married, getting married again because we sent out all these letters and no more one whiteboards. Knows, these, no. these people don't know who we are. So you send out this letter with a little return postcard that says, you know, and we just instead of asking people, can we stay with you? We said, if you can recommend accommodations that are nearby, we sort of left it open. So if someone right. wanted to step into that and I would say. 70% yeah. of the people said, oh, no, you'll just stay with us. And that's a great way to learn. Yeah. Be, just not yeah. visit and leave and then come exactly. back. Yeah, and then so now you're staying with, with folks. I mean, we were joking that as well. It was quite exhausting at times because it's basically like a first date every three days. Right. Where it's like, who are you? Like, what, you know, where did you come from? What's your backstory? How'd you meet? Yeah. Like The so nights doing... that we actually did stay so you've in done hotels. This we've done we this just, a few times. Yeah, <laughs> we would just basically like collapse and be like, we're not going to talk to each other, right? Yeah. We're just going to lay here in exactly. silence. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it, it was, it was a, it was a really, you know, so once you had a two or three days to basically kind of like be on their farm or at their facility um, and really spend the time, like it's not as, as it's the, the stakes aren't as high of like, we're here for two hours, right. tell us everything. It was yeah. like, it can unfold when it unfolds. And, you know, I basically was AV guy, you know, my job was to photograph and do the audio recordings um, and, you know, just kind of be in the background a little bit more while Sasha was more front and center. And I think in some ways, like part of, I think some of the stuff we were able to get and then the meaning of the trip was because we were able to spend a little longer, people relax, right? Right. And they can just kind of like stop thinking about the fact that there's a mic on them or there's a mm -hmm. camera in front of them um, because it just becomes a little repetitive. So we found it was a nice way to really do it. And it, it was great for us because it meant we weren't like rushing and rushing, rushing. And we tried to pull that off in, you know, eight weeks or something or four weeks, you know, some crazy kind of a sprint. Were there any real interesting things that you learned right off the bat that you that were light bulbs that said, oh, wait, we got to keep this in mind as we keep going? Were there, uh, you know, I would imagine in the first few visits there were yeah. some things you weren't expecting? Well, one I would throw out, um, it's more putting Sasha on the spot, was um, Sasha started this trip as a vegetarian. And um, I would say a light bulb that went off was like first farm we stayed at um, were with uh, Michael and Emily Lee up in Vermont. And they, uh, you know, they basically have goats and they're, you know, making beautiful goats, milk cheese, a really small, beautiful little farm. And she had this moment of kind of going on a diatribe about people that are like, oh, I can't eat meat. But it's like, but you're eating cheese and cheese is a product that comes from animals. And some animals have to die to make that cheese because we have to birth all these goats or sheep and we don't need all of them. So, and it was this, I think, watching Sasha have this moment of like, oh, right. I'm a giant hypocrite. And, I, <laughs> and this is day one. You know, and just realizing, okay, I, you know, this is a something I have to address for myself and kind of reevaluate. I mean, I, you know, what ended up happening is I decided, okay, well, I'm going to eat meat so long as I know where it comes from. And especially if anyone's room. offering me meat off of their farm, it just would have felt um, really like it would have taken some balls to be like, no, give me some more of that cheese, but I don't want to eat any of the cow. Well, you know, I, I think also you would have been depriving yourself of that experience as yeah. well. I mean, that's all part of the farm. It, Absolutely. For me, if I were a vegetarian and I'm not, 
that's the time to take it off when you're on yeah. farms across the country. Yeah, and I, yeah. so I think like that was one moment I think that was kind of an interesting light bulb. I think, and then I think the other was just in sense of the the kind of intimacy that I think you know we kind of almost glossed over ourselves of like yeah we're going to spend a couple of days with these people and then you know we're going to move on to another farm and stay with them and and I think that first like week because it was in Vermont we were doing Vermont first they're very close so we were kind of bang bang we were hitting people like every two to three days it it had that moment of like wow this is a really intense experience like this is going to be a long this this could be a really long four months because it's so um it's so intimate and you're dealing with people about their passion and their thing that and and that and comes you're also visiting people who don't get visited. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of the thing. That was the other part of driving from place, doing this trip, a trip like this by car, is you realize the you know, the, like, cities have pushed people further and further out, and where they can afford to farm and make cheese is not very close to much else sometimes, or it's in a really small town where they may or may not be understood by their local market for the product they're making. And so... A lot of those people were, you know, there were a couple cheesemakers, and I wouldn't name names, but people who were really worried about having people come and stay with them, like really worried about what our motives were, what we were up to. And so it was... Was that more on the East Coast? I would imagine that... It was a little bit of both because, you know, West Coast has a lot of like, you know, that kind of libertarian kind of... Well, yeah, sort of the West Coast. Yeah. um, But not so much in the middle of the country. Middle Midwest, less so. I think, again... But I do think, like, again, you're dealing with different ideologies and different kind of belief systems in general. And so you have to kind of have that dance a little bit with people that you don't know. And, and then ultimately, then there's a whole subset of other group that they're just psyched to have people visiting and they want to have a party. Yeah. Right. They want to, like, open up some wine because, you know, they, they're like, you're really into wine and you love our product. And like, well, let's celebrate because we don't get many guests. So try to imagine again, you're like. Okay, we're gonna stay up drinking tonight, and then get up at five in the morning, and we're gonna be in there in the parlor milking, and then working, you know, making cheese, and then do that all day, and then they're because to them they're like, it's two days, it's two days of a big party, yeah. and we're gonna be tired, <laughs> and then we get in the car, and we're like, oh my god, months again, um, yeah, um, so yeah, there was a couple things like that of like, well, okay, so like she said, we get to a hotel finally. I think it was, I think we went almost a week and a half straight of staying with people when we first started, and then we got to a hotel like in Maryland. And we, like like she said, we basically each took a queen bed, didn't talk to each other, like watched TV and like passed out by like eight o'clock because we were just like mm-hmm. so tired and worn out. And I think for us, we got kind of lucky because we prepared and basically had stops where we go to like national parks and like camp for two or three days just for us. And that helped kind of like, again, keep the energy going and, and give us a little bit of a reboot. But yeah, so. I discovered uh, Sylvan State Park in South Dakota. There were all these places I discovered that I'd never heard of. Right. And never envisioned that Nebraska was going to be really cool to drive through. And uh, so were there any of those for you? Any, oh, yeah. Any finds for you? Oh, that God. Southern Utah is like the greatest place on earth. It really, mm-hmm. I mean, going, once we left like Denver and we cut through the, or the Rockies and then you hit like Arches and, and, um, Grand Escalante, and then you get over. Did to you go like, to Four Corners? We went. Yeah, we went well, two and a half cor- hours out of our way just to get that picture. <laughs> I've been there quite a few times because I have a lot of family in Arizona. So I, I think I steered us away from Four Corners on this trip. But uh, you know, but it's like Zion and and Bryce, and you're hitting all these places that are just breathtaking. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you get the same when you get up into like Utah, and you know, so like the West just has these landscapes that you just can't believe at times. You know, the Dakotas. We actually drove through. Um, when um, 
the bike rally was oh, going Sturgis. in Sturgis, mm-hmm. which was wild. I mean, yeah, 100,000 motorcycle riders, <laughs> yeah. Harley Trying drivers. Trying to find a place And to they stay weren't there for cheese They were not there for cheese. No. Uh, but they, they were, alcohol was acceptable. Yeah. Uh, maybe not wine. But, and, um, but yeah, and like having to stay four hours before Sturgis to find a hotel room and then drive four hours past Sturgis to find a hotel room was also pretty wild. Like, you know, because you're just like, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, this, we're not going anywhere near here. Um, you know, but... Yeah, those kind of little moments that are always pretty fun. So was this uh, trip, when you look back on your lives, is was this trip the the kind of the landmark moment for you? Did it was it a something that if you think back on your favorite experiences in life, oh, yeah. that those four months, I think it's one uh, of the. For mind? me, it's probably one of the two that diff- for me. I yeah. mean, and that for me, those I did two of them mm. across the country, and that's what landed me in Portland. It's just on the way. Yep. I discovered the beaches out here, and then hit Portland, and thought, I love this. Yeah, it actually so, happened that year. Uh, same the thing American for- the conference for cheese called the American Cheese Society. Sasha's actually on the board of directors as one of the executive commi- executive board members. Um, that year, they had the conference in Portland, Oregon. So we were here for like a week and a half because we stopped to visit some cheesemakers, left, came back for the conference. And kind of, yeah, had our first kind of falling in love moment as well of like, wow, this is kind of beautiful out here. And the access to the nature and access, you know, going mountains to ocean to, you know, the forest and all these things. Um, yeah. I mean, I would say this. And then we we actually took about uh, five, six months and traveled through Southeast Asia. Oh, that's a good one. In like 2000, uh, 2001, basically. And so, you know, that's another one where it's just like it's eye opening. So mm-hmm. and I think in some ways they're very similar in the sense of like kind of like letting you see taking the time to see something unravel the way it should rather than like you're on a bus and then you get off and you've got an hour and you take some photos at the Great Wall and then you get on, mm-hmm. a, you know, and then or whatever it might be. So um, I think thematic trips yeah, uh, really help and they help you not to just be a tourist. Yeah. So you've got a, you got a separate, you got it. So did you have w- Cyril's in mind when you were doing these trips? How did that come no. about? No, I mean, I was going to say, you know, when you ask, was this kind of a landmark experience? I would say for me, kind of like everything good that I've gotten to do in the food business, so much of it came out of that, doing that trip. The amount of kind of goodwill that that created across around the country with people has served me, you know, for what, almost 10 years since then, eight years. Uh, so, you know, I, I feel like when we got back to New York, there were two things that were painfully clear. One was I didn't want to live in New York City anymore. Like after driving around and having big open sky and lots of trees, I went back and just said, I just can't do it. You know, it's, when can't. you go back now, do you feel that? I am. I grew up around New York. And I go back now and I feel very claustrophobic. Yeah. It's like, give me some space. It's I, that, it's the, the noise. You know, like I always say, like every time I return, I, I feel like it's like a little bit more <laughs> has been shaved off that I can kind of tolerate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah, I definitely feel it. Cause I, I, I mean, I love yeah. going back because yeah. I, lo- I think New York is an it's an awesome place to have lived so that you can move through it confidently as a tourist, as a visitor. And I don't miss living there per se. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel really overwhelmed by it. But if I go back in short stints, it's great. I'm the right? same. And yeah. I didn't live in New York. I lived in the suburbs and always had access to it. But yeah, it's nice to know it, to yep. be able to navigate and know where you're going right. and know yeah. your way around. But living yeah. there is another yeah. is another issue. And having being to me, being in Portland is, you know, it's a small city. Yeah. 
You exactly. get a little bit of that, you know, with the food, and you get a little feeling of that, but it's a different vibe, completely Absolutely. different vibe. Yeah. yeah. So we were really, we came back, we were really clear, we, we wanted to, you know, we need to get on a plan to get out of New York. And then the other thing was, I think we realized that we had a, we now had like a particular stake or kind of set of opinions and values that we wanted to share after having gone out and interacted with all these people actually producing food and, you know, I don't, after just going out and being with farmers and understanding what that took, I had a very specific kind of idea about an experience I would want to create for other people to kind of bring them into that without trying to be really dogmatic or heavy handed, but like to try to give people enough information so they can make an informed decision. Um, and I think, you know, I think in some ways it, it, to that point, it, it, it cemented being enthusiasts. Like, you know, I think in some right. ways it's very easy to say like, yes, Sasha is very much an expert on cheese, especially American cheese. But I think in the end, like she always kind of pushed back on that of being like, I'm just a big enthusiast. And I think in some ways that delineation almost emotionally was that thing that everyone felt when we were out there. Cheesemakers saw that it wasn't, it wasn't like, hey, I'm coming out here so I can become famous on your back. It's like, I love what you guys are doing and I want to tell everyone about what you're doing. I and, want you to tell everyone about yeah. what you're doing. I mean, we that trip was all about recording interviews and putting podcasts out that were in their voice, like mm -hmm. not you know, to be reflective of what we right. knew, but more to just share, have them share what they were up to. Do you still have uh, good relationships with some of the people that you stayed with? Are you in oh, touch yeah. with them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Every year the, the cheese conference happens, you know, I always kind of joke like, I mean, I'm not in the cheese world. It's not, my, it's not my thing, but there's so many people still that it's like I go to the conference because it's kind of a reunion. I get to see all these folks that I don't get to, I get to see once a year now. Um, and still, you know, have like really lovely rapport with most. Um, yeah, I think it's um, it's great. I think it's it's kind of an uh, an amazing uh, community in that way. That's still small enough that everyone you know kind of feels that camaraderie. Um, yeah. So you both, um, you know, you both took this trip and you you had a passion. How did cereals at Clay P Pigeon Winery come about? Well, I think at the same time while we were doing this kind of trip, I was I. Right before we went on the the cheese by hand tour, uh, I went out to Sonoma and made wine at a at a Pinot Noir maker there. And um, basically, that was the kind of light bulb for me of like, oh, I like this side. You know, I love being a Somali. I really did. Uh, I love that again that enthusiasm and trying to share these products with people. But I also found that I love the kind of art and science that winemaking brought. And so, as we did cheese by hand, we were kind of like looking around the country a little bit, like where could we see ourselves going. And once we kind of got to Portland and we kind of spent some time, we knew we wanted to be West Coast, kind of just cemented that this was probably where we're going to be heading. And I've been a big fan of Oregon Pinot for years, even my New York days. And so, you know, it just kind of made sense. Uh, and I think that kind of, again, just kind of led to, okay, so I'm going to make wine. And at first, obviously, I went down the path of, well, I'm going to make wine in the valley because that's what you do. Uh, but we were like, well, we don't really want to move to the Valley because we don't know anyone, in, even in Portland, let alone wine country. And we at least remembered that about visiting those farmers that, like, it can be lonely, <laughs> mm -hmm. right. you know. And so, yeah, we were like, well, let's just move to Portland. We'll get our feet under us. Let's figure out what we want to do. Um, and so it kind of started as, like, two enterprises. One was like, yeah, eventually I want to be making wine. And so once we got a house, I started making wine just in, in the garage. I converted our garage. And then after a couple of years of just doing that for us, I converted it into the winery. 
And so because Oregon is a fantastic state that lets you uh, convert a home garage to make wine. Um, and so I was doing that and Sasha was looking kind of like to, she was working on a couple of books, but then after that, as those were wrapping up, she was looking at um, maybe like a little counter. So it'd be like retail, but also maybe breakfast, lunch or something like that to kind of have. And I think it all just started to kind of come together a little bit. At first it was very separate and we were like, well, I'm going to do this over here and you're going to do that over there. And then, then I think once we had the click of, well, wait. I was out looking for spaces and working with a uh, commercial broker and I saw the building that's now where we are and had one of those weird experiences that of like, I think that's our building and it's way too big for this little idea that I have. And I don't even know if it would accommodate the winery. And we looked at it and it was kind of zoned perfectly to be able to make wine and right and had you know some drains in it and had this roll-up door that we could receive grapes I mean it sort of just clicked Mm -hmm. and and as soon as we started talking about putting the two things together instead of feeling really apprehensive about being a business owner I personally started to feel really excited like oh I'm not in it alone Mm -hmm. we could do this together and so did you feel from the get-go that you that you're Marriage would thrive working together, or do you think? Did you, were you a little concerned? No, I mean we've always know which way. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm curious. Yeah. Um, no, I never worried about like the marriage. I I felt like I think like Sasha. I felt like, oh, this is great. We get to do, we'll be doing this together. Um, and for a lot of people though, that's yeah, too much togetherness. Oh, I know. Uh, yeah, but I feel like we've we've never really had that problem of too much togetherness. Like you, you would have figured it out by now. Yeah, I mean honestly the. Four, four months in a in a car, you know, and staying with people and all that can kind of show. I mean, I think when we first started dating, you know, we we took a trip for like two weeks after like been dating like four years like to Guatemala. Four and days after, after f- like no four four weeks we went away oh, for four like weeks. yeah okay. we were like and then we did Asia not not very long after that and I think we just kind of realized like we were pretty compatible about how we traveled and how we basically kind of like saw things that we didn't really I didn't really we're think much. Good how team. did you how did you meet through work. work. Um, when she was at working financial services, uh, I worked at an agency that basically did like the website for the company. It was Charles Schwab, and you know, and uh, and so we got paired up on a project together. Oh, cool! Um, and so we met via was the it, was phone. Was it kind of love at first sight? Or well, was it the kind of, kind of, but I mean, it was like we kind of. Well, I mean, it was well because we like we he's never, trying to say we met on the phone, phone and email. We never actually physically met. So we didn't meet for, for like, like maybe six months yeah. or something. So and then finally, I went out to San Francisco because she was in San Francisco. I was in New York, and I went out for another meeting, and we finally got to meet. And that but, and that was kind of like a that was kind of like for me, it was kind of a lightning bolt moment of. Oh I love God. this. It's not online dating. You're yeah, and it's, <laughs> it's turned into you know trips. You've been all over the place, mm-hmm. and yeah. now you're you're you have a really cool enterprise where you're both doing something together and also realizing your own separate passions right. at the same time. Right, and I think that's I mean, where we have found that. You guys are pretty smart. <laughs> I uh, think it's just more like, you know, we just kind of keep navigating until it starts to feel right. And mm-hmm. uh, um, and I think, again, like, you know, we, uh, I think we, you know, we kind of had seen uh, other models and, and it just kind of made sense of like, well, if we can have a restaurant and sell our own wine there, you know, then having to try to work with a distributor and get all my wine sold this way, like, it changes a lot of the math equation of how much do you have to sell mm-hmm. versus the price point per unit. You got an automatic built-in promotional area. Mm-hmm. You got wine tasting. You can do events. Exactly, and it, and it allows you to keep a, a higher margin so that maybe you don't have to scale so fast. So you don't have to be like, all right, 
And so that became really the hypothesis of the space was, can we produce maybe less quantity, but be able to get a higher margin so that we don't have to feel like, because I think a lot of times when I talk to a lot of winemakers, there's this struggle of they want to keep hands on. They love making the product. But then all of a sudden there's this moment of like, well, I have to bring in all these extra people because I have to grow to accommodate having um, tripling my volume because it's going out at a lower margin. And then all of a sudden you're not really making wine anymore. You're you're managing. You're just mm-hmm. manager. And I think that's a struggle that uh, everyone kind of goes through when as you grow. And the question was, well, can you stay more boutique? And can you live at a certain plateau? Um, or do, or is growth just kind of inevitable and then that day is just going to have to happen? Mm-hmm. You know, but can we draw it out a little bit longer and let me enjoy the winemaking side for a little bit longer before that has to happen? Where are you in that process now? Oh, we are, are still way early. Like, I'm still <laughs> making, uh, very much on the making. Um, I mean, again, like right now we just had our thirst, third official vintage. You know, wines are very slow. It's a very, I mean, I was talking to someone about it. I was like, wine's a very antiquated way in many ways because... Someone was asking, you know, the urban wine and like, oh, is it, you know, is it going to explode like like the the breweries have in like Portland or in urban environments in general? I said, no, I just don't think it will because, you know, I said, if you look at a, you know, like we're big fans of Breakside Brewing. Um, and last year, I think Breakside did 100 different beers in 365 days. Like, that's crazy. Uh, that is and that nice. gives a lot of variety and it gives reasons to come back. And it's a really smart model. Um it takes me a year and a half to two years before I can release one wine. So the the lag is so crazy long that it it becomes this like thing. It, it's it's more of the romanticism of like of like slowing down than this idea of new, which again we're pretty obsessed with right now as a society. Like we want it new and shiny and then skip and go to the next. And so I think, you know, it's been an interesting kind of like um year and a half because we kind of opened, we didn't have much product. And we're just now trying to see our wines come on. And so it's been this long year and a half of like. And you also opened, um, you know, a lot of Portland businesses and people in the food business came from somewhere else. Like mm-hmm. Steve. Yeah. You know, Steve Jones was at Park Kitchen mm-hmm. and he grew from there. And Scott said, you should do this. And so he had a kind of a following going in. You didn't have that no. advantage. Um, so what has it taken for you to get your name out there and, and be find customers in a, in a competitive city. Well, I think in, well, go ahead. I was going to say, I think having an urban winery gave a quick moment for people to be like, Oh, that's different. And it was a very hot topic and it was catching on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were kind of one of the newer members, but still we had the space that you could go to versus like just being a garage urban winery. Um, so I think that started a little bit of giving us some kind of like um, conversation around what we were doing. And I think what we realized was that, yes, like no one really cared like that what she had done in New York. Like if we were in New York, we would have had these people going like, oh, I know where you came from. Like, you know, they um, yeah, Portland is a very like literal. You have to have been from somewhere here. here. I don't think no, people care what about yeah, exactly. what you have, you have done have anywhere advantage. else. Exactly. Yeah. Our advantage. Is, yeah. Our stuff. And, you know, and in a few years, you will have done something yes. here. And then you But can... the flip side of that is. I mean, and this, you know, for someone who's very nervous like myself and not a big risk taker, there's also something fantastic about being considered an amateur. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's like you don't have, you're not burdened by the expectation of what are you going to do? People are willing to be, I mean, they can be totally disappointed by you, but not as disappointed as they might be in someone who sounds like they have a great pedigree. Like mm-hmm. if you came from nowhere, 
people are generally like, wow, that's pretty cool. You're doing all right for someone that I don't know anything about mm-hmm. and I've never heard of before. So there's, you know. For you can as, make that a positive. You can. Um, yeah. And I think for us also, we, we, uh, we decided, like, well, you know, I think what we have to do then is really 100% focus on the moment they walk into our space, what is that experience? And, like, what is the, the feel they have, the service they have, the products that we're putting in front of them, that we basically just kind of, like, wow them once they're in. So that clearly, like, it's going to take a while for us and we're going to have to let time get people in the door. But once they're in the door, how do we keep them and then get them to return and make a return customer out of them? And that's so what's, been, what's the consummate experience? If someone were to walk out and tell their friend what just happened. Can I tell you my favorite, my favorite example of this ever is actually when someone, I remember this guy walked in, I said hello to him, you know, asked him if he wanted to take a seat. And he looked, he stopped halfway to the bar and he looked at me and he said, do I know you? And I said, no. And he goes, oh, I just assumed I did because you were so friendly. And I was like, yeah, that's. That's exactly what yeah. we want it to feel like for someone, you know, not in a creepy and, you know, like aggressive, friendly kind of way, but like a really an, a genuine, warm welcome that makes you think like, oh, have I been here before? Because yeah. these people sure seem to well, that happens be when you're the owner of the business and, you know, you are representing yourself. Yeah. Probably more so. There are some professionals who do that, you know, obviously a lot of them. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, and I think it's I think for us, like the thing that we strive more than anything was that we wanted to create a space that people said was comfortable, that they're like, God, this just feels so comfortable in here. And I feel so cozy in here. And I feel so. But if you go into our space, it's huge. I mean, we're it's it has to be big enough to hold the height for a winery. So we've got that kind of classic problem about, you know, we've got super high ceilings and, and it's a big room for the even for the diners. But we wanted to make sure that no one felt like they were lost in the space. And so we wanted to kind of create that. And that was our biggest fear. And I think what I feel great about is that people constantly say like, oh, it feels so like cozy and welcoming here because we felt like people, um, you'll go to like a restaurant, like the place you're going to go to day in, day out is not necessarily, it is about the food and it's not about the food. It's the food obviously needs to always be as consistent as possible and be striving, but it's about the emotional experience you have. I I am all about, I I believe wholeheartedly in that. And I'll go somewhere where the food is, Okay, but if I can have a great experience with other people, I go to um, out in Manzanita, Vino. Yeah. And to me, that place, I mean, she does a good job with food, um, but every time I go in there, I'm having a meaningful conversation with somebody and drinking and eating at the same time. Um, Absolutely. And 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 that's what I'm thinking when I go in there. So that's what you've got as well. But so what are some of the some of the dishes that you're serving that are, um, that you, if someone walked in and said, what should I have that's representative? What's, what's well, it's very funny. Cause what I, I mean, this is the classic problem, right? Of being the owner is I'm like, what I think is what we should be known for is not necessarily the thing that people are in love with. So we of course make Mac and cheese because we didn't when we opened, but everyone was like, you're this cheese person like why don't you have mac and cheese you'd make the best mac and cheese so we have mac and cheese people really like that but also I would say that the um and you know cheese boards people are psyched to come in for those but I feel like really the the um kind of like gem of our menu is our um salads 
So we, you know, my vision when we opened was that we would always have three salads. Um, one would be kind of uh, leafier, one would be grain-based, and one would be um, more of a legume. And people love them. And we have people who, like, hate eating vegetables and come in and order salads because they trust us. And they're like, you've never given, you know, I tried more vegetables here than I have in my whole life, and they're delicious. And, you know, that to me is just sort of encouraging people, like, it's not about what I say is good or even what Michael says is good. It's about what tastes good to to you. And if you like it or you don't, that's okay. I just would encourage you to try it. You might be surprised. And I feel like we we have cultivated that with a lot of people who come back. You know. It's- well, I think it's also good to get into people's minds that uh, salads are kind of the cornerstone of your business because often I'm out there thinking, where do I want to go to eat? And everything that comes to mind is too heavy. Mm-hmm. And I just want... You know, I don't necessarily, when I go to most restaurants, order a salad, and I'm happy with that. But if I go to a place that feels like that, then it's a different type of experience. Absolutely. I mean, I think that was one of our big things was we want people to leave and feel like they've been nourished uh, and they have fuel to go keep doing something else rather than I have to go home now. You know, and I have to go lay down because I'm so wrecked from this meal. We want them to feel like, great, I'm going to go do my next thing now. I want to... Go to you know go to a movie or and I do whatever that might be right. or even just stay and go someplace else and have a drink with their friends and keep the conversation going. We're like, in a good location for that. So, yeah. do you have a che- a case or yeah. mm-hmm. so you, you you have that as well? So, there are um, you know Steve Jones comes to mind mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah. So this is a community where it's not as competitive as New York. Mm-hmm. It's a it's everybody supporting everyone else. So what's your relationship? Does he provide some? Does he are you? competitor of his but a friendly competitor how does that you know so i worked for steve when i first moved here so when he was over in um the northwest in square deal that's kind of the a spot that i landed i just worked like one shift a week for him just to keep a toe in the and get to know people in the food industry out here in the cheese business uh and then when he moved i ran that little counter until that store closed basically um and so you know steve's in in Portland terms, he's really far from us, right? I mean, people, and when I say in Portland terms, I mean, people don't like to go very far um, to to buy things. So I feel like we're very far apart geographically in the city, mm-hmm. in, in a Portlander's mind. Um, so, and I think our business models are different enough that I look like more of a restaurant. And, you know, I think Steve has has definitely uh, had huge success uh, and worked really hard to cultivate, you know, being the purveyor to a number of the city's best restaurants. I mean, he's done an amazing job at that. I don't do that business at all. I select my own cheese. I have a, you know, I just have a totally different approach. Um, The major ways I would say I have a different approach. One, I don't try to sell cheese to any other restaurants. It's just not part of my plan. And the other is that I try to have no more. Ideally, I would have 15 cheeses, but I can almost never have that much self-control. I usually have about 20. And that's it. You know, and Steve is um, trying to satisfy a different uh, need that customers have, which is to see, like, you know, this library of cheese, right? Mm-hmm. They want to see, like, 150 cheeses in the case. He's got that. He's the guy to go to for that. Like, you want some obscure Bavarian cheese? I send people to Steve Jones. He's got, you know, an awesome selection. I mean, so why, why would, what are people coming to you for that he doesn't have? Ooh, very good question. They're coming to you for the lens. Right, because I'm picking you're, for them. You're curating. Okay. 
I mean, like, you and know. I wasn't trying to be. I wasn't no, trying to be combative by asking that question. No. I just, uh, you know. I mean, it's a different kind of. You know, I I find that even after working in the cheese business for ten years, you know, I just we went to New York in January. I went into this beautiful um, shop, the Bedford Cheese Shop, that just opened a second branch in Manhattan, and I walked in there and thought, man, you know, there's probably three hundred cheeses here. I know most of them, and I am totally overwhelmed. Like, I don't even know where I would start. There's so many choices. And one of the things that I really appreciate and places it's I like to shop. is a cheese guy. Exactly. It's mm-hmm. where people, someone has sort of said, like, if you come in here, what I can promise you is what you get is going to be good. It's not going to be the same every time. It's always going to be good. That's, you know. And, so, and I, I think that's an excellent proposition because you're, uh, you're fun to be around and you know your product. Uh, it's part of the experience. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, there's lots of experiences you can have in Portland. Absolutely. This is one special one, and we're glad to be able to highlight it. Mm. So speaking of Portland, where are some of the places you're enjoying most now? When you have time to get yeah. out. Depends on the time of day. It, it does. Well, any, well, anything. Well, you know, it's funny. Like, I think when we have those times where it's like, okay, we're going to try to sneak out a little early or something, and, and we're heading home, and, you know, we're wanting something – Honestly, like a place like WVV is a place that we love going to because we love New York pe- people. Love- okay, because that's far from New York pizza. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't care about that. I think I love what they're doing and their style, and it's very different. But also, it's also that we love their salads, and we love that we can go and get like a half a pie and get a salad or two and go home mm-hmm. and have a really excellent meal. Um, and also, I just it's that thing where like every time I go there, I feel happy. Yeah. I feel like. They are a great example of we do this one thing. We're not going to pick up a bunch of other, you know, lines of business. This is what we do. This is who we are. It doesn't change that much. And it's just you. I look forward to going in there. They're right. like there's a nice feeling in there. Yeah. Similarly, it's I a would, happy Portland place. You, yeah. you couldn't. It, it just belongs in Portland. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and definitely. Similarly, so- I feel like we love going to. um you know, some places that come to mind, I love Bete Lucas, the Ethiopian place that's out on 50th, just south of Division, owned by a couple. Um, very, the menu never changes. Never. Never. And he's only open like three hours a night, which and is even more amazing. I mm-hmm. love going there. So, I mean, you feel like family when you go yeah. there. It's fantastic. That's great. We love going to Ned Ludd because we, again, I think that's a lot family. of it is it's family. we like how it feels there. Yep. Um, I've become addicted. Have you to, been there for pizza night? Not yet. Not yet. I know. Yeah. It's great pizza. I've heard. Yeah. Um, and I also am really a big enthusiast uh, for Tabor Bread, which is also out, actually out really close to where Steve, Steve is, is, you mm-hmm. know, 52nd or something in Hawthorne. Hawthorne. Mm-hmm. And I love going there in the morning. They make beautiful breads and pastries, and um, it's just like a nice neighborhood spot to hang out. Um. Love going to Lovely Fifty Fifty again because I feel like they're. I always am like into the top half of their menu. Their pizzas are awesome. The salads but are fantastic. Exactly. Fantastic. Some of my fi- and best salads I've had are right. There. And yeah. I feel like that's where I go when I will say to Michael, I kind of want our food, but not our food because I'm tired of our food. <laughs> <laughs> now, do they come over to you when they're tired of their food? You know, that's a great question. You we got, don't. We got to make sure they exactly. get. I know, there. right? Um, yeah, I'm trying yeah. to think if there's anywhere else. Oh, and there's one other place I definitely wanted to mention because one of the meals that we get to go out for very regularly is brunch because yeah. we don't we're not open in the mornings on the weekends. And um, P's and Q's Market is a little yeah, neighborhood you know, gem up on Deacon. 
making great food for um, for breakfast. And that's uh, one I haven't heard. Yeah. So thank you for yeah, that. Yeah, Peace and Q's is great. I mean, it's a young couple. It's a mainly it's like a market, and then they also have like the brunch, and they do lunch and, and early dinner, and it's very sweet and uh, you know simplistic in its approach, but again, just quality. Like, you yeah. know you're going to have good food, and it's just a nice space. And so do you live over in that area? Is that your... Yeah, we live in North Portland, so, so we live in Overlook. Firehouse? Have you... They're so close to Firehouse. Right. But Firehouse is awesome, too. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. I enjoy I enjoy walking in there. It's just a, it's just right. a real warm experience. Exactly. In more ways than one. <laughs> exactly. Um, so thank you so much. Thanks for, for having me. Appreciate it. That's a, it's a fascinating story. So where do people access... Any information they can on your trip and also your restaurant, your winery? Yeah, well, so the trip itself is cheesebyhand.com. Um, so we have that site still up, which was basically Sasha did a, like a, a write-up of every farm we visited. And then uh, we have podcasts up. Um, um, technically, that's still up on iTunes. But again, you can also get to them via, via the website. And then obviously the claypigeonwinery.com is, is our site for, for the winery itself. And, and Cyril's is Cyril's PDX. That's easy enough. Yeah. And it's easy to get there. Where And where are you located again exactly? We're just right at the corner of uh, Southeast Oak and Sandy. And Oak is just one block north of a landmark almost everyone knows, which is the Slammer Tavern. There you go. Yeah. yeah. On Stark. Exactly. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. We'll see you soon over there. Great. Cool. It's nice to talk to a couple for a change. Little change it up a little bit yeah yeah and i think we're going to kind of make it a theme for a few weeks here where we have couples in because i think it's a fascinating dynamic when you have two people married or committed to one another who also say yeah in addition to spending the rest of my life i'm going to spend my working hours (laughs) with you and a lot of people can't survive that it seemed like they were they were doing really well with it and as a matter of fact that was the that their relationship was based around this beautiful business. Yeah, yeah, that they're both. And I think I like your point about how it's uh, together, but also pursuing separate interests, but under the same roof. Yeah, and I think maybe that's the secret to making it What they're work. doing is just so cool. And to have it develop the way it developed through this trip around the country and... Um, it couldn't I to me it couldn't be any more perfect. And my story was a little like theirs. So I, I relate to it a little bit, you know, yeah. driving around the country and ending up ending up in Portland and then as she was talking about, uh, Sasha was talking about celebrating these products and wanting to expose people to them. That's kind of what I've been doing too, and so I refrained from interjecting in the uh, during the interview, but I, I really warmed up to what they were doing and what they were saying and respect what they're doing. Yeah, it's very much on my bucket list in life to do some kind of a cross-country tour. And I don't know, I, I just think I love the idea of of a culinary-based or a culinary theme trip, whether it's cheese or barbecue or truck stops or, you know, whatever, like on a motorcycle, Winnebago, like I, I'm... So you I'm know there. what we did? We, so we did the baseball right. parks, but we couched it as a hot dog as we were rating the hot dogs. And uh, I guess I have to say my the favorite that I, uh, I think it was at PNC and Coors Field. Those were the, the best hot dogs. But yes, fantastic. So we did two months, two summers in a row, yeah. four months total, which is what they did. Yeah. And uh, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna do it. It's on my list. And and it's nice when they talked about traveling together and i think that's also a a really great sign of a strong relationship too is when you can travel well together when your pace 
when your idea of a, the pace of a day is is you know you're on the same wavelength about well, that. And what what better way to see this country than get right into it, right. part of it, right? Where the food is produced and meet the people who are doing it. I can't. I, I think that has to be. I got. I haven't gone to the website and checked out their their blog. I have to spend some time with that. Got to be fantastic. And listening to the to the cheese casts, <laughs> right? And they're and they're articulate people, so I'm sure they're well done. Right. So start planning your summer road trips now.